Welcome to the MBG Podcast. Let's fire everybody. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 52 the Message Board Geniuses Podcast. This is Who's. I've got Casey, Joy, MBG. Got week 12 of the college football season in the books. Jimbo Fisher being fired last week. We thought fire everybody season is officially in full swing. So we thought we'd kick things off by talking about who we think is going to be the next coach to get fired. So, Casey, you want to kick it off? Sure. I thought long and hard about this question. I dove into each and every conference, looking deeply at the records for the season. If there was any player strife, social media drama, anything in every single piece of criteria that I added to the mix, the arrow kept pointing directly at University of South Carolina head coach Shane Beamer. (laughs) As everyone that listens to the show knows that I rarely mention my alma mater's rival, but in the rare instance, I think it fits the criteria. Shane, employed by the Evercom fan base at the University of Oklahoma, progressed his career all the way up to assistant head coach before bolting for much browner pastures in Columbia, South Carolina. His first year, he was a commendable 7-6 and and wore some Duke's mayonnaise as if it were a crown, and the fan base treated him as such. Uh, Year two, he improved greatly to 8-5, but lost the bowl game to Notre Dame. The trajectory was on the way up, albeit one game improvement. And this year, Shane sits at five and six, entering rivalry weekend, and the Chickens may not be able to make it to a bowl game if they lose to Clemson. He seemingly spends more time begging students to stay all four quarters of a game, arguing about the facilities his post-game press conference is held in, and complaining about hot dog vendors. So Shane Beamer is my choice to be the next coach fired. Deservedly so, too. I I do actually like the guy, so I hope it doesn't happen, but it should. Joy, I feel bad. Your your choice is obviously off the board. Well, <laughs> so. I was going to say Jimbo Fisher at whatever next job he takes. Like, that's who I'm going to pick <laughs> to be fired next. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I did get screwed here. This is when I would have thrived. But I am going to go with Tom Allen at Indiana. They are have really struggled this season. Overall, his, his tenure at IU, he's 33 and 48 overall. And in the Big Ten, he's 18 and 42. He's only had two seasons plus 500 football and only two bowl games in seven years. So severely below average, very rarely can he pull an upset. And even though Indiana is a basketball school, I have been to many an IU football game and they do love football and they're passionate about it. And I think he's on his way out the door. So I'm going to go with Tom Allen at Indiana. I didn't even know who the head coach at Indiana was. Is he the one who's they've released the videos of him leading the team singing the fight song in the locker room? Yes. It's so cringy. Is that <laughs> I mean, yeah. the players look like they just want to disappear into thin air. And so <laughs> at least the one video that I saw. So, all right, MBG, who are you going with? Well, I'm going to go out on a limb a bit here. And it's either, I think that he's either going to be fired or he's going to, resign or move on. And I think that's Jim Harbaugh. I think there's just too much going on there at Michigan. It seems like there's a lot of, he's been in trouble for a lot of little things, which tells me that either he doesn't really have control over the program. If I'm Michigan, it tells me either doesn't really have any control over the program or else he's cheating all the time and he's lying to you about it. So I just think that there's just too much there going on with Jim Harbaugh. He's flirted with leaving in the past. He was kind of on thin ice uh, with the university before the, these last couple of years that he's been successful. And it just seems like maybe it's best for the uh, University of Michigan if, if they move on from Jim Harbaugh. I know everyone's saying that he doesn't have anything to do with this, but I find that difficult to believe. And you couple that with all the other issues that have gone on with Jim Harbaugh there. It seems like there's just too much going on. So I'll say Harbaugh. So mine is related, and it's less a prediction than it is me trying to will chaos into existence. I'm going with Ryan Day. Ryan Day is 52-6 and at Ohio State. 
I didn't realize this. His six losses, he has one loss to a team ranked below number six. So he lost to number 12, Oregon. His other losses are to number one, number one, number three, number three, and number six. Despite that, Ohio State fans have lost their collective over the last two years as they've lost to Michigan. And if you search Ryan Day in Hot Seat on Twitter, people are already saying things like, I just picked a few. This is an Ohio State fan. I think Ryan Day knows that if he loses, L-O-O-S-E-S, he'll be on the hot seat. Yep. College football report. If Ryan Day loses to a Harbaugh-less Michigan and misses the playoff, should he be on a hot seat, a very hot seat, or fired? And then there's actually an account called Coach's Hot Seat. If Ryan Day loses to Blue this year, sans Jimmy, his ass needs to be fired on the field in Ann Arbor. Do I think it's going to happen? Probably not, but I do think Ohio State is going to lose to Michigan, and I think their fans are going to freak out, and there will be nothing more chaotic than him getting fired after losing that game. Hey, there's this lots is that of, week. There's yeah. lots of rumors on the Texas A&M boards that he's a legitimate candidate there. Now, I don't know if I believe it. I'm just telling you that there are – on almost every Texas A&M message board, there is something. <laughs> and I don't know if that's them just feeding off each other or if that's actually coming from somewhere, but there is chatter about Ryan Day to Texas A&M. He'd be really yeah. easy to, like, slide in that Jimbo Fisher hating spot. Like, he right. would be <laughs> a very natural slide. So I'm not you against your personality that. back. Yeah, exactly. His, his punchable face would fit in very well at Texas A&M. So – and again, just the chaos thing, the celebration that would occur among Ohio State Twitter if Harbaugh got fired, and then if that was followed immediately by day leaving for Texas A&M, we might not talk about anything but Michigan and Ohio State for the next like two months. So, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, but who do they get? Uh, let's not. We'll, we'll worry about that. <laughs> Jimbo. They're going to hire Jimbo. Right. Hugh Freeze, all, all the usual suspects, right? Well, not yeah. Hugh Freeze, Dino, he's gone. Dino Babers is available. Urban's coming Urban. back. Urban, there you go. All right, so next up we have our mailbag question. This week's question comes to us from friend of the podcast, Twitter user, at Chansey John, who asked, and this is a Casey-like question, so i got to take a big breath before I start here. The question is, you are running moonshine down the mountain. The sheriff is on your tail. You're also transporting a full traditional Thanksgiving meal to your grandmother's house, which also happens to be where you are taking the moonshine. What Thanksgiving food are you throwing at the sheriff to distract him? And how will you explain to grandma why that food is not on the table? This sounds like an episode of Dukes of Hazard somehow, which is probably <laughs> way too old of a show for joy. But <laughs> I was thinking more Little House on the Prairie, but. <laughs> a combination of those two. <laughs> All right, Casey, what are you going with? Uh, where do we even get these questions from? Seriously, we're going to be a, we're we're going to the bottom of the barrel with this one, MBG. <laughs> I, I kid, I kid. Okay, seriously, this one really made me think, and I don't like doing that too often. So you're welcome, Chancy John, John Chancy, whatever your name is. I had a friend that this very situation happened to, so my answer is a bit of cheating. Okay, that's a lie too. But I think <laughs> there's still I moonshine think, in New Jersey. <laughs> I think I would have to go with the Jello mold, and here's why. There's an ongoing joke in my family between myself and my sister-in-law about Jello mold. My mom's aunt used to bring it every family function, and as she aged, the Jello became less and less congealed, and therefore it was very runny and pretty inedible, if that's even a word. And the last year of her life, it was like this green thing with some unknown fruit inside. It, it would have coincided with my running of moonshine, coincidentally. So, therefore, I would have thrown that particular jello mold right in the anger chair's face. And my grandma would not have been happy with her favorite grandson. However, because she was about the only person that would ever actually eat the delicacy that was her sister's famous jello mold, rest in peace, Aunt Elia. It's always fun to talk about dead relatives on the podcast. It's a pick-me-up. <laughs> all right, Joy, what are you going with? So as everyone knows, I'm from Louisiana, and so all of our Thanksgivings also involve, like, all of the Louisiana staples. So we always bring a massive pot of gumbo to our Thanksgiving meals. So it would only make logical sense to throw that at the police officer 
because one, it would probably induce some like third degree burns, but two, like it would also probably knock him out because gumbo pots are really large. So um, I could get there. My whole family would be devastated at me because of the gumbo. But if you gave them enough moonshine, then they wouldn't even remember that they were missing the gumbo. But I would also just like a little caveat is that everyone knows that the Louisiana political system is very corrupt. So if a cop was chasing me because he knew I had moonshine, it's only because he wanted some. So I would probably just give him over or like get pulled over, give him some, and then just continue on my merry way. Yeah, more if, of a if, you're pro, if you're proactive, you just make an extra batch, right? And just so right. you have it on the ready. So grandma's not pissed off that the moonshine's not there. Grandma's not pissed off and the police officer's not pissed off. It's a win-win. Win-win, that's right. All right, MBG. Well, Joy stole mine after her third thing that she said she was going to throw. Um, <laughs> I, I would throw the moonshine back at him. I'm not. That's good. I mean, that's, good. that's the whole reason I'm in the predicament to begin with, right, is the moonshine. So I, why not just throw it back at him? I'm not going to drink it. I got plenty of Diet Coke down at the bottom of the hill. I don't need any moonshine. <laughs> Problem solved. Does grandma, stock the, does grandma stock the Diet Coke for you, or do you have to bring your own? Oh, no, there's plenty down there, Casey. <laughs> so I, I had two thoughts on this. One is my family, my dad's family, is from literally the hills of West Virginia. So it's it's not out of the question that someone in my family <laughs> has been running moonshine on their way to Thanksgiving dinner before. It's possibly happened. The second thing that just made me laugh while I was thinking about this is uh, how each of us thinks about these questions differently. Because literally, I was sitting there trying to think, all right, what would be the best item to throw? And I was positive somebody else would pick cranberry sauce, like a can of cranberry sauce. <laughs> which to me is a win because A, it sucks, and B, the can is easy to throw. <laughs> but since no one picked that, that's what I'm going with. Well, I think this is our first holiday-related – oh, no, we had a Halloween-related uh, mailbag before. So kind of like this. Maybe we have some more coming up during the holidays here. All right, so that brings us to our next segment, Genius of the Week. As always, each of us is going to nominate a player, coach, team, conference mascot, somebody who did something particularly dumb in the last week. We'll put it to a Twitter vote and see who wins. For our last vote, Casey got back on the board. His nominee, UCLA Recruits, got 46% of the vote, followed by Joy's nominee, Lane Kiffin, with 27%. My nominee, Arkansas Football, came in third with 18%. And MBG's nominee, Tejrang Balavi, had a strong 9%. So That's an upset, though. He should yeah, have won. I mean, That's a huge upset. I, I hope I hope your friendship was worth that nine percent of the votes there, MBG. <laughs> he was pissed. I'm telling you, he did not like that. Tajin, I'm not going to read his text because I can't read it on here because he was mad. All right, so that uh, leaves me with 16 wins. Casey has 10. Joy has nine. Courtney has one. MBG is still sitting on zero. <laughs> MBG, these are getting tough, man. Um, it, this one took a few different Google searches. You're now 0 and 36. <laughs> For reference, you've now matched the Marco Island Academy Rays, who in September of this year snapped a five-year, 36-game losing streak by knocking off Warner Christian Academy 32-20, to prompting head coach Lou Montgomery to exclaim, and I quote, we didn't win a Super Bowl, but we won a game, which I, <laughs> for some reason just <laughs> was hilarious to me. <laughs> so, MBG, once again, you're in fine company. <laughs> All right, Casey, you want to lead it off? Yeah, this week, my genius of the week is NFL sideline reporter Carissa Thompson. Thompson was on Barstool Sports, pardon my take, where she came out and said, quote, I haven't been fired for saying it, but I'll say it again. I would make up a report sometimes because, A, the coach wouldn't come out of halftime or it was too late. And I was like, I didn't want to screw up the report. So I was like, I'm just going to make this up. She continued, no coach is going to get mad if I say, hey, we just need to stop hurting ourselves. We need to... Do better on third down. We need to stop turning the ball over and do a better job of getting off the field. Yada, yada, yada. Then she walked it back and what King said, working in the media, I understand how important words are. And I chose wrong words to describe the situation. I'm sorry. I've never lied about anything or been unethical during my time as a sportscaster. So for trying to be funny and completely whiffing and then having to walk it back, Carissa Thompson my genius of the week it's always i chose the wrong words now you, i'm pretty sure you used the right words just weren't expecting the blowback because apparently this came out like two years ago it was like she and aaron andrews were talking about this 
And it got picked up by a couple outlets and discussed a little bit, but nothing really came out of it. So it's not even like a new thing. I think it was just, you know, that podcast has such a huge following. It got a lot more traction this time. You know what? It makes sense, though, because how hard yeah. is it to try to run from one side of the field to the other? Sometimes coaches run right by it. Like, it makes complete sense that that they do this. So she just didn't need to give it legs. I don't know. She just didn't need to bring it to light. It would have been just fine. It's yeah, not like there's okay any, anything keep things to yourself sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right, Joy, who are you going with this week? Okay, I am going with Bo Wallace. He, if there's one thing that you can just trust Bo Wallace to do, it's to get incredibly intoxicated and argue with people about the Egg Bowl. The best part of it was this week, a former Mississippi State player, Nick Griffin, mouthed off to Bo, and Bo had just had enough, so he started arguing back. He called their school a poverty program, which I've now just learned is just what you say when you don't have anything else to say. He just kind of cussed him out, and but like did it like a middle schooler would do it, like A-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z, instead of just saying the word because his property program education also isn't doing much for him. Um, but the best part about it was that Bo responded to someone and then Bo didn't realize that that response was his own. So he actually quoted his own tweet and, and fought back. That's how inebriated and intoxicated he was. He has since now deleted every tweet that he had, but screenshots live forever. And That's so a good that, night. Yep. So for that, Bo Wallace is my genius of the week. I just want to point out, it's not always being drunk. I have totally accidentally quote tweeted and argued with myself just because I'm old. So uh, there. Yes, but like, he tends to do this. And then is like the next morning is like, oh, I'm sorry. I should have put the bottle down. Like that's, that's Bo Wallace. Right. I got it. Gotcha. All right. MBG, 36 in a row. Is this the week? It should be. I got, I've, I've got the one this time. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. It's wide open this week, MB2. It is. So I'm going to go this week with my guy, Rudy. Not Rudy Rudiger. Not Rudy Gobert. <laughs> but my man, Rudy Wilcox from Florida. <laughs> the other Rudy. The less famous of the Rudys up until now. So to some. Rudy Wilcox, 45, was picked up by Clearwater Police on Wednesday around 5.30 p.m. after he was seen dropping trow in the middle of the Belcher Road and Willow Tree Lane intersection, then laying a log on the doubly unfortunate possum in full view of the motoring public. The defendant was observed defecating on a deceased possum with his pants lowered and his anal region exposed. That's what the police report says. In addition to in in addition to pooping on the possum within sight of motorists, he was also allegedly witnessed in action by a police officer with the Clearwater Police Department. Then it says when questioned, Wilcox denied the accusations and said the officer who witnessed him doesn't see straight, according to the affidavit. But police weren't having it. It then says physical evidence was viewed at the scene, which corroborates the allegations alleged. <laughs> Looks like an open and shut case against my man Rudy. You might actually win this week. <laughs> but for that, my guy Rudy Wilcox is the genius of the week. This might be it, MBG. I think this might be the winner. You need to Google Rudy Wilcox, Florida man, because the picture that it shows, if anybody can't see, it's likely Rudy. <laughs> and apparently, apparently it was during rush hour. So like yeah. it two in the morning where, you know, nobody was around. He looks exactly like you're thinking he looks like based on the story. He I just love the defense of you may have thought you saw me pooping on a possum, but that's not what you saw. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, as usual, it sucks following MBG. Uh, but I, my, my, nominee, my nominee is Colorado third-string walk-on quarterback Gavin Cole. I don't know if you all saw this, but Gavin got into the game against Washington State when Colorado was down 56-7. to his first two passes were somewhat uneventful. He completed his first pass. Second pass was incomplete. 
on his third pass, all hell broke loose. It was batted at the line of scrimmage. Gavin made a juggling, frankly, a nice athletic play to, to catch the batted pass and apparently decided he needed to get some, some more reps in because he immediately rolled out to his right and threw the ball a second time, <laughs> this time directly to a Washington State defender. The funniest part about all this is, while throwing the ball a second time constitutes an illegal forward pass, an illegal forward pass actually counts as if, inter- if it's intercepted, which I had no idea that was a rule. So he threw four passes in the game. Only three of them counted, but that second pass on that play, the interception actually counted. So for going full YOLO and helping me learn an obscure college football role, Gavin Cole. Full YOLO. And he was just getting in rep. He's like, all right, well, I got the ball back. I'm just going to roll out and see what happens. <laughs> Before we move on to our next segment, I want to give a quick shout out to CFB Home for sponsoring the MBG podcast. You can find them on Twitter at CFB Home and online at fifthquarter.net. Also, we're doing a couple of cross promotions with other podcasts again this week. The first is with the Sickos Committee podcast. Their week 12 preview dropped last week with an episode titled, What Movie Would You Watch in the Locker Room at Halftime? Kind of a callback to our uh, episode last week. We're also doing a cross promotion with the Slander You podcast. Their week 11 review and week 12 preview dropped last week with an episode titled Sleeping Giant. We love both those shows, so check them out. All right, folks, we have another great guest lined up for you this week. This week's guest is one of the best college football writers and analysts around. She's a senior writer for The Athletic, college football insider for NBC Sports, a studio analyst for the Big Ten Network. You can find her on SiriusXM and on every big-time college football podcast out there. Welcome to the show, Nicole Auerbach. Hey, guys. Welcome, I'm happy Nicole. to be here. This Honestly, we should add this to the line in the bio. This is obviously an honor to be on with you guys. I love the content you guys put out. So very happy to be here. This is super exciting for us. So we thought we'd just go around the horn, have each of us ask you a quick question and just let you cook. Does that work? Yes, let's go. Let's cook. All right. Be prepared. Casey's up first. So just strap in here. Let's grab a drink. <laughs> All right, Nicole, thank you so much again for joining us this week. We're so thankful you're with us tonight, knowing how busy you must be, especially with it being rivalry week. I'm the long-winded one as on the show, as they've all said, so buckle up for this butte. Uh, I've been a big fan of your work, truly, whether on the Big Ten Network, hearing you across many platforms on the radio, Sirius XM, reading your stuff in The Athletic. When I heard you were going to join us, I wanted to dig a little deeper about your background. And holy Moses, did you not do everything that you had to do to get in, stay in, and progress in the journalistic world, interning and working at such places as, what, the Trentonian, Cape Cod Times, covering, among other things, the Cape League, one of my favorite things in the world, which does, which does in fact, include Freddie Prince Jr.'s depiction yes, in the Academy, it does. It in does. The Academy Awards snub. <laughs> fun, summer fun fa- Wait, fun fact, I have to interrupt. Give it to me bunch of the players told me that they watched that like the second they got their call to tell them that they got picked to be on a cape league team they were like i gotta go watch summer catch so, awesome. i guarantee that that is a tradition that is still going on i love that movie so much and i won't admit it here oh wait we're recording um you had stints at the detroit free press boston globe usa today you covered 2012 and 16 olympics which must have been amazing all that buttering up leads me to my question, and it's a three-parter. As a fellow New Jersey native, and coincidentally actually recording this from New Jersey, as I told you earlier, Taylor Hammer pork roll, and my second part is Central Jersey a real place. I'll okay. hang up and listen. So I will say Taylor Ham. I had to, I went to my mom straight to the source of like, what did we grow up referring to it as? Um, Taylor Ham for sure. But Thank it's a you. great question because it gets at the divide between North Jersey and South Jersey. I am from Central Jersey, Hillsborough, New Jersey, near Princeton, a little bit north of Princeton. It is neither North Jersey or South Jersey. It has to be Central Jersey. There is just no other way around it. And in all of the maps that the New Jersey governor, the 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 just amazing people who run like NJGov, that Twitter account, who just really get like the the heart of the state. They always agree that central Jersey is a real thing. And if the official governor's account is sharing that, that means it is (laughs) so ordered. (laughs) So it exists. It exists. 
I'm just saying there's no there's no other way to see this because if you look at where I'm from, I'm like, again, our the biggest thing in our town when I was growing up was like we got an Applebee's, we got a movie theater, it's a lot of farmland. <laughs> I'm near Princeton, which is like there's a bunch of trees and it's lush and it's great. That, that's not North Jersey. It's also not South Jersey. It has to be its own special place. So I will I will die on that hill. Man, oh man, just ruin this. I'm gonna hang up. Casey's <laughs> not used to people coming with facts to answer his questions. I know. <laughs> but also vibes, like the vibes are different in Central Jersey. But, but where only did the... it start? I won't go down. That okay, road. wait. We'll, we can have, we can have this conversation off air. We'll go up. Like... We'll look at a map. We'll like actually like trace out the different counties. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joy. What do you have for Nicole? Well, Nicole, I don't need to give you your whole background and your whole resume because Casey just did it for me. Um, that's one part I really enjoy about going after him is he always just preps everything else that anyone else wants to say. So my question for you is, do you have a favorite event that you've covered or like a favorite story that you've written? Obviously, you've done everything. You've dabbled in everything. So I just want to know if there's like one story or event that like really stood out to you that you like if you could do it all over again, that's the one you choose. So the answers are different question, different for me. Um, so the story that like when people say like, you know, what's a story that you'll never forget or sticks with you. Um, one that I always think of is I did the first big story on James Conner when he came back from cancer mm. at Pitt. And I just like, it was such a hard story. It was a really quick turnaround because we were worried, you know, he was eventually going to talk to other people. I talked to his oncologist. I talked to his mom. Um, spent a lot of time with him, went to Cheesecake Factory with him and his roommate, but it, it just meant a lot. And, and it was just one of those where you're like, you just don't want to get it wrong. And afterwards hearing from him and his family about like how, how it was right and how they were hearing from so many people, it had reached a large audience. And so I was, I was still at USA Today at the time. Um, that just, that just meant a lot. So that one's always right up, right up there because it was a really important story. Those stories are hard. Um, you don't get into sports like journalism because you want to write about cancer and talk to doctors, right? Like you're doing it because you want to go to games. Um, and so that one is is one for sure um, that always sticks with me. And if I, you know, if I like James got drafted, of course, by the Steelers. So they share a facility with Pitt. So I'd be up there for like spring or, you know, whatever football and um, fall camp and and he'd be there. And it was great to always catch up with him. Um, so that one, but the event is very different. It's the Rio Olympics. So you guys had mentioned that I went to London and Rio. Um, so I covered swimming. Swimming was my beat at USA Today. And they go all in on the Olympics. You know, like we would do nationals and different things each in the off years to build those relationships. And so I got thrown into it like right before swim trials in 2012. We had had a round of layoffs and restructuring. And they were like, okay, Nicole, like swimming is now your Olympic sport. So I had not swam as a child. Like I didn't know the terminology <laughs> splits, like the different strokes, all those things. Like I could just not drown. That was like my level of swimming <laughs> knowledge myself. And so, so like 2012, it was just like, it was a blur, you know? And in those four years, I spent a lot of time getting to know the athletes or agents or families and felt really good going into Rio. And then it was just an amazing event. It was like every single night with swimming, you had like a world record. You had Phelps on his on his final uh, on his last legs, and then Katie Ledecky's emergence, which like I knew was going to come as soon as everyone saw her like lap the field. And then you know you had uh, Anthony Irving win a medal at age thirty six. You had Simone Manuel, and you had the Cold War. Like it was just it was it was wild to be somewhere where you just knew that like the entire world was watching what was happening that you were watching in person and it just completely lived up to all of the hype, every single race. So that was just incredible. And, you know, the Olympics are really hard. Uh, obviously like no one feels sorry for anyone who covers them, but like they're like 20 hour work days every day. It's, 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 it's a lot. And you're usually not staying anywhere near where the facilities are. You can't leave. Like it's, it's a long day. And it was just like, I would just get home. There was like no food. Also like the media housing was like kind of not finished. So I would like get home and like have a, a glass of wine and like eat a bag of Doritos at like 3 a.m. every night and just be like, oh, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. And then just get up the next morning and do it again. But that was that was unbelievable. That was the best. I will never I will never top that as a sporting event because it was like the eight straight days of swimming were just each individual day was incredible. That's awesome. Wow. I love that. That was really cool. 
All right. So Nicole Casey touched on, you know, all the things you've done during your career. And I'm sure at this point, there aren't many things that make you nervous, but looking back, I was wondering what was more nerve wracking for you the first time you were live on air or when you met the Providence Friar? Oh, the Friar. It's, it's not even, not even close. I, like, I also kind of like circled the Friar a couple times. Cause like, <laughs> You know, again, so you guys know this, like mascots are awesome, but they also don't speak, right? They're not supposed to. So they kind of can like approach you or like kind of sneak up on you in silence sometimes. So I was like the time that I went closer and like tried to speak to you or take a photo with the prior, um, it was like pregame. It was like pretty empty in the arena. So like I could just like see him lurking and it was terrifying. <laughs> scariest mascot I, I know people would be like all right the wichita state shocker like mm -hmm. purdue pete like there are definitely some other terrifying looking mascots but until you see the providence fryer in person like you just don't believe how scary that thing is and it's also like tall so it's kind of like like staring down at you and then i've watched it do i've watched it do a uh like a dance-off during like the commercial breaks during the tournament and stuff God, that's even worse. That's even worse. So not not even close. Like that, there was actual fear. Like, like I think my heart skipped a beat seeing the Friar the first time. I, I actually remember you had a tweet that said something like, uh, "The Friar is about six feet away from me, and it's yeah." It was cold. just so it's scary. Like... It was terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, MBG. Well, all right, Nicole, you are on the Message Board Geniuses podcast. And so I know that you've been a sports fan for a long time, probably your whole life like the rest of us. And so my first question is, what is your experience with Message Board? Certainly, you were, you were a Message Board poster, at least at some point in your no, sports fandom. never, not a poster, no. Um, so this is going to come as a little bit of a surprise, but like obviously Message Board culture is very much in college sports. Like these are like, you know, recruiting websites for the most part. It's kind of like originated out of that world. Um, and I grew up in central Jersey, pro sports everywhere, like did not start getting into college sports until I went to college. So it just wasn't really the same. Like, yeah, I would read, you know, whatever was happening. My dad is sadly a New York Jets season ticket holder. So like we became, we were big Jets fans and like I would read everything, but it was still more of like the mainstream sites, you know, ESPN and like the local newspaper sites. Um, and then like, you know, like everyone kind of, you like start, like I had a little blog at one point and like, I was, you know, I was writing about sports and stuff, but I didn't have that outlet because I wasn't like a diehard college fan. So I wasn't tracking recruiting. I wasn't like complaining about coaching buyouts or like we should fire our coach. Like I just had all those conversations in real life. So I've gained my appreciation of this world since going to college and working in college sports for the entirety of my career, but I was never a poster. I know it's really sad. That's wild. So in, in your career, I know you're not going to use a message board as a source for any sort of a story or anything like that. But no, although I will that... say like all the message board rumors related to Connor Stallions turned out to be true, right? So like <laughs> you, you got to read everything nowadays, right? Well, that's that's my question is do, do you kind of keep tabs on it? Because I will say that I have many of your colleagues who will send me like screenshots of message board posts or whatever, which tells me that perhaps not that they're posting on the boards, but they are you're monitoring looking. them or looking lurking. MBG, lurking. they're lurking. Yeah, lur lurking is a good way to say it. I think also, like, if you want to get a temperature on a fan base, it's the quickest way to do it. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's like the angriest of the fan base, right? It's, it's the <laughs> end of the spectrum. Um, but if it's somewhere where like you don't know people, you don't have like actual personal relationships where you can get a sense of something, it is the fastest way. And there's also some that are just like very iconic, right? So like after a bad Texas A&M loss, like that's the one you go, you go to tech that. You got to see what people are going to say. So there's just certain message boards that like have a reputation that precedes them, regardless of if you have any ties to that fan base, it, it gets you right to the heart of the matter. Okay, good. I always knew that there were uh, that that's where you guys were getting your stories from. Was from I the, love that she used Texas a and as an example. I just love it. Yeah, it was perfect. <laughs> they are they're like the gold standard. 
Truly. Amen. Amen. I would agree. I would agree that yeah. them and Clem Clemson is really Clemson's pretty good. really picked up in the last couple mm -hmm. years. Like yeah. since yeah. since they haven't made the playoff, it's really picked up. Don't do it, no. Nicole. You're over one with this Central Jersey thing. Don't do my alma mater, Clemson, either. Now. <laughs> and I I just want to see Georgia and Alabama be not good, just to see. The meltdown. I, I haven't really gotten a good taste of them because, you know, they've been so good. They haven't had a lot to melt down about. So we got a little bit earlier in the season when Alabama lost to Texas. True. Remember, like the world was ending. But, and yeah. USF actually during that game, like oh, mid-game, oh. probably. USF was almost worst. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was probably the low for them. That was when everyone was wondering if the dynasty was over. Oh. Yeah. Fire yeah. Tommy Reese. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's what I like when you guys capture like the mid game moment or like oh. the, the, the moment of the, the peak anxiety of a fan base and it gets better, but it's like, it's the, the absolute low. Because you punt on the first drive and everyone wants the office of coordinator fired. Yeah. yeah, yes. my, yeah. <laughs> I, I do. I live for those. Um, so um, speaking of meltdowns, we always start the message board post segment with the best meltdown of the week. Um, when you're this late in the season, it's kind of hard because meltdowns seem to be a little more justified the later you are in the year. Because um, so this week I picked what I thought was the best one, which was from our friends at Colorado, mainly because we kind of haven't heard much from Colorado. We were all over them for the first three weeks, five, four or five weeks, and then not so much. And so, you know, I don't know if you saw the game, I think it was Friday, uh, but they were, I mean, absolutely destroyed by Washington yep. state. Um, and so these were some of the reactions. So I'm curious as what your thoughts are on, on Dion. And if you share these thoughts that the Colorado, some of the Colorado fans uh, said, one guy said, the problem is that we're back to being a laughing stock, getting obliterated on national TV. Uh, next guy says, is it possible that coach prime, the, the coach prime hire ends as a disaster this team has gotten worse throughout the year. Dion has lost the locker room, coaching staff and fans. Serious questions about his ability to create a cohesive atmosphere. Says he doesn't care about the culture and it shows. This guy says, LOL, we got sold a bill of goods. And this last guy says, this year is way worse. We have a bunch of individuals playing for themselves. It shows. Sanders has no culture set here. Enough of the cameras and BS, well-off videos, Focus on football, establishing a culture, and being best at football. No more distractions as True Sanders has brought the circus to Boulder. This will end in a disaster. So do you think that the Dion uh, tenure is going to end in a disaster? Well, I wouldn't go so far. I mean, these are probably people who loved the cameras and everything that we were learning about this team the first couple of weeks of the season. Um, I think this was always going to be divisive, right? And if we had said in the beginning of the season, that they won four games. The The preseason over under was three and a half, right? So this would have been a great success, especially after winning one game last year. It was just the way that they happened and the reaction because TCU has coming off a national title game appearance. Um, but I think there were always going to be questions about the culture when you flip a roster that drastically. Um, a lot of People, a lot of smart football people had concerns about like the offensive line depth, the defensive line depth, um, and, and a lot of things that ended up being huge problems for them as the season wore on. But it's just year one. You you can't, you know, you couldn't have decided that he was like the model of all coaches needed to follow and like the slam dunk higher off of three games either, even though some people said that. Um, so I think, you know, I think you've obviously got to give it time. We got to see you know, how he approaches some of the roster deficiencies, including just size in general and depth in general, because these are going to be problems for them. But no, it's way too soon to know if this is going to be end in disaster. Um, I mean, it's just year one. And a lot of people would say, even despite the fall off, that it was still probably worth it. You know, they sold out all their home games. <laughs> they they crossed over. They, they were well beyond just sports fandom. It was um, you know, our pal Gold Jr. would say like it was not an ESPN story; it was a Good Morning America story. And so, like, mm -hmm. all of that is incredibly worth it, and we'll see that probably in the next recruiting cycle. But it, it's going to be interesting to track this moving forward. I mean, Deion Sanders has never handled or had to face this type of losing as a coach 
until now. And so, you know, we'll learn a lot of how he responds, but it's definitely too soon to make any sweeping judgments. We shouldn't have made them after one month. And we shouldn't make them at the end of one year. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I was looking, you know, they, they lost to Arizona by three the week before Oregon state. They played within a touchdown. UCLA was a, I mean, fairly close game. It's not like they were getting blown out every single game. And like you said, they won four, which was basically meeting expectations. So it's funny to watch them get so upset uh, following that game. I mean, they play Utah next week, which probably isn't going to go That's too well. But probably not going to go well. No. <laughs> Is he going to play Travis Hunter down by 50 again and risk another Ooh. injury? Yeah, yeah I mean, it. right. But again, the questions of like, you know, should he have – played as many snaps as he did, especially when he came back from injury. Like those are legitimate questions. Like those are not overreactions or anything, which, you know, obviously like we all know that, but um, it's kind of been that they've been a unique situation of trying to like sift through the hyperbole and figure out, you know, kind of what they actually need to address, how they're going to address it um, and all that moving forward. So they're going to be a fascinating off season again, probably dominate the conversation again. All right, Nicole. I want to just move on to really the only game that's ever mattered this season at all. And that's the Michigan Ohio state game. I said, I'm going to take credit for this. These yahoos didn't say, but I did at the beginning. I said, <laughs> the only game that was ever going to matter this season was Ohio state, Michigan, because of, there's going to be so much riding on this game, mainly with Ryan day um, and the Ohio state fan base. Um, and that was before, this whole sign stealing fiasco, which has made it even more intense with Michigan fans thinking that Ryan day is behind this whole thing uh, somehow. So um, my, I guess first, what's your thoughts on the whole Michigan uh, thing? I mean, is it really that big of a deal uh, what they were doing? So uh, we won't have enough time to get into all of the layers. Cause like it, it's a really interesting college football scandal from for a lot of different reasons i think like it no one was harmed and then you have it happening with jim harbaugh who's already a polarizing figure uh you're involving it right at a time period that overlaps with the period that they finally beat ohio state for the first time in a long time and then you have someone named connor stallions which very easy to become a national household name who is buying tickets in his own name and putting things on his own credit card. And then we learn about his refurbished vacuums. Like there were just a lot of layers to the story that like, just kept, kept it in the news in a way that like, I just, I don't think it, it wouldn't have been the same if a team wasn't undefeated and a true national championship contender. But also I think like if it wasn't Harbaugh, right. If it wasn't someone mm -hmm. who had been sanctimonious about, rules and like the way that Michigan does things. So um, there's just a lot to, to get into here, but in general, it's like, it's, it's, it's an, it's a hard thing to do, right? Because everyone knows certain things are against the rules. So obviously, you know, people go to extreme lengths to figure out ways to, to break the rules. They're aware that the rules are, are being broken, but also like, how would you quantify the difference between having someone signs legally based on film and based on, you know, like watching and observing on a sideline versus like this method of in-person, obviously it was worth it because they kept, they kept doing it, but what's the difference? Like, we'll never know that difference, like to quantify that. Um, so anyway, it's just been, I have a lot of mixed feelings about the whole thing. Um, and then because it's been happening in real time and people have wanted, uh, penalties and punishment in the season that this was discovered that's created a whole separate dynamic, you know, with the big 10 conference and then even the NCAA move, moving at an accelerated pace. So ultimately though, I, it feels like a peak college football scandal, right? <laughs> like it is a rule that like it prompts us to all be like, why is this a rule in the first place? You know, what, what is sign stealing? How does it work? Why does some people do it? How do you become good at it? And we've all learned a lot about that part, but then also that it involves Michigan. And like, I, I went there, like the arrogance and the way that the Michigan fan base has responded, like that's totally part of it. Like that is how Michigan fans are. And they feel that, you know, because of the way the news has continued to come out and there've been a lot of leaks and because the punishment came down from the big 10 on the eve of the game while they were on the plane, um, they do believe 
that this whole Michigan against everybody, you know, like that is something that they, they feel and they're not going to be convinced otherwise. Uh, maybe Jim Harbaugh calling Michigan America's team was a bit much because I don't think the rest of the country feels that way, but that fan base really does view things that way. Like they think that, um, the reaction has been outsized in comparison to what was alleged to have been done. And that if Jim Harbaugh himself was not directly connected to it, then, you know, it, it's a totally different world, even though, like, as we all know, the NCAA holds head coaches accountable. The Big Ten was trying to essentially do the same thing. So uh, I don't really have like super strong feelings because I've been covering it so closely and just kind of trying to track all the different directions. But I've definitely understood understood all of the different arguments around it. And even though I think Michigan fans will eventually acknowledge like that a rule that someone was breaking rules, um, you know, I think that there's they're going to continue to have their view of the whole situation and how it's been framed to them and the way the team has has responded to it. So I think you're just you're never going to win over the other side in this argument. Um, and so it creates a whole extra dynamic to this game because as you mentioned you do have a lot of Michigan fans believing that Ohio State or Ryan Day or Ohio State donors or someone was behind this we still don't know that that's still an unknown but then you also have Ryan Day who was already coming into this game with a lot of pressure having lost two in a row to Michigan he beats everybody else but you know this game has been a problem and then now what if he loses to an interim head coach who's only coached a couple of games like it adds an entirely different layer to a game that was already compelling already two unbeatens in the top three like it was already up there in terms of like the most anticipated games in the rivalry just like last year just like oh six but this head coaching who's on the sidelines piece has really uh added something extra to it so i can't wait for the game i you know i think ohio states played extremely well they're playing their best they're the healthiest they've been michigan on the other hand not playing its best um, and then, as we mentioned, like the the head coach situation. So it's compelling. I mean, there's like a hundred different layers to this that that make it the most interesting game of the season. I didn't think about the interim coach piece. That that's wow. Ohio State fans will lose their minds. <laughs> well, they, I got a Michigan. They, they lost it last year, and they lost it two years ago. So yeah. Well, I got a Michigan poster here who's got a way around this whole interim coach thing. And so I want to get your thoughts on this. Okay, let's let's hear this logic. And this is oh. from Michigan 99. He's actually drafted a an email to President Ono asking about the possibility of our head ball coach staying engaged with the team on Saturday without being on the sideline or at the venue technically. I assume the Goodyear blimp will be in use for a game of this magnitude or possibly a flyover honoring, honoring <laughs> the men and women serving this country. So do we have any donors that could pull some strings to get Jim up there with a headset down to the field press box, either by blimp or helicopter? I think this is a potential loophole Day and Tony Patetti didn't think of in their ridiculous suspension handed down to Jim. Thanks, and as always, go blue. So okay, so they get Jim so the blimp. Uh, I don't think that that was considered uh, when they when they said that he couldn't be on the sidelines or on the premises. Uh, I would, I, you know, what I was I was actually thinking about this because I'm not sure. I, w I would be very curious about like how serious uh, stadium security would be about something like this. Like when they when they beat when they beat Maryland and they. Uh, we're celebrating the the thousandth win for for Michigan football. I was like, what if he just popped out like that? Would, like, imagine like w was he allowed to be there after the game ended? Like, I wasn't sure. So I think these rules are kind of loose. I do feel like a blimp would be certainly outside of the realms of like what specifically was said of what he can and can't do. Um, I don't know that you know Michigan donors, Michigan alums. There's a lot of lawyers out there. I don't know if there's a lot of people that have connections to a blimp, but. Probably I will say there was like a whole story that came out about the Goodyear blimp, and it's like run by Ohio State. It's all Ohio oh, State. Oh, then so like there's oh, a so negative seven percent so chance that's happening. Do you do you think that it is the? So do you think this was a plant from an Ohio State fan trying to get him like kidnapped? That doesn't happen on message boards, Nicole. Now, now I do. Yes. 
I, I did I mean, it, if, but now I do. <laughs> I, I don't know why else they would want so <laughs> so hard for him to be in a blimp. Is this Ryan Day's turn? This the post gives reading. me like Hugh Freeze in the hospital, like coaching from his hospital bed vibes. That's what this <laughs> post gives me. That was college football's been downhill from there. Really? <laughs> that, that was a peak moment. That was the first thing I thought of when Dino Babers was let go the other day was that image of him waving up to, to Hugh Freeze. Right. <laughs> I'm kind of rooting for Harbaugh to go Bobby Valentine, just put on the fake mustache and sunglasses and just show up on the sideline and see if anybody says anything. <laughs> well, I think they would notice since they figured that out with Connor Stallions. <laughs> Nicole, I did once steal signs in the Little League World Series Southeast Regional between Tampa when Lance McCullers was pitching against Team Alabama, and I had the signs stolen. I could be Connor, the next Connor Stallion. So if you talk to Jim, just tell him I'm available. I feel like Little League World Series is maybe higher stakes, so... In Alabama's team, defense, I don't know if you should have admitted that. I'm not it. sure. Statute of limitations. How old is McCullers now? He's like 31 or something. He's 12. So. All right, maybe I still wouldn't have admitted that. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, so there was one more post. I want you to just shoot this down very quickly. It's from an Ohio State fan who thinks that there's still a chance that the game isn't even played. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Enough said. Why would, this, why would this even make any sense? No, the game is being played. Literally thousands of a hundred thousand people plus will be at this game. Um, I, well, I mean, even if the big 10 would prefer Ohio state, which they're never going to say that they would, they of course would want the game to be played. I don't see that I mean that one doesn't make sense to me. And actually, I would think as an Ohio State fan, you absolutely want to play the game. Like oh, yeah. of any times you want to beat Michigan, like you want to beat Michigan this year. Like as much yeah. as you could possibly in your heart of hearts want to beat Michigan, you want to beat them this year. So uh no, that game is being played. Yes, that's but, happening. But you also don't want to lose to Michigan. So I almost think that not losing is more important than winning. Would you? You mean you'd rather not play the game so that you don't lose? <laughs> no, I think, I think that's, you want to play the game. You want to play the game. But yes, you of course want to win. I'm glad we've established this. <laughs> this, is, this, is what you go, this is what you go to the message boards for confirmation that you want to play the games and you want to win the games that your team plays. Things get a little fuzzy sometimes, right? <laughs> That's funny because no, there I... you you spin yourself in a circle too many times, right. guys, and you just kind of get yourself back. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's funny because I posted a post from an LSU board over the weekend that said it looks like we're gonna have to outscore these guys. It's <laughs> actually been how LSU's been all year. Yeah, that's everyone. actually that's hashtag analysis. That's like that's, that's a fair point. Yeah, hashtag no yeah, doubt. That's literally how you would have been. Okay, we, we already talked about Hugh Freeze, and I feel like we couldn't leave today without at least talking about Auburn. Um, and their game on Saturday, which had to have been a tough one to stomach for the Auburn faithful. So there was this post on Auburn Undercover after the game by a poster, BMF9646. He says, I've encouraged my kids to cheer for Bama. Most of their friends are Bama fans anyways, and I don't want them to have to experience the same fandom that I've had to. I just love them too much to do that to them. That's like the perfect, the perfect post. <laughs> like after, after an embarrassing loss, just like not wishing upon that, washing your children upon that. Like that is just, I got, I got no commentary. I think that is just the perfect post. <laughs> I, I under, I understand, I understand the thinking. Yeah. Well, you have like I, 91 down votes. <laughs> he does. He was getting well, the Auburn message. I mean, if he posted that in the Alabama message board, I was like, hey, I'm an Auburn fan. I've decided to raise the children this way. <laughs> like <laughs> one loss to New Mexico State, and the whole family tree just takes a left hand turn. Yeah, it's just it splits. There's a branch, the Bama well, the, branch. 
The best part was they were Auburn fans saying, oh, this is a Bama fan. This is a plant. This person's been on this board for 10 years. So they thought about that for this one, but not the Goodyear blimp and the kidnapping right. philosophy. Interesting. Interesting. I just, I love this response. Somebody wrote, he's been posting on Auburn undercover for 10 years, just waiting for his moment. And it finally arrived. <laughs> <laughs> Just a long con. Well, oh. being a Utah State fan, I feel this guy's pain, and I wish that I no one ever did that to me, and that I would never have to do that to anybody else. But sometimes we just have to go with the hand we're dealt. Uh, all right, last one. This is from a USC board. Um, USC fans are equally unhappy with their coaching situation. And this guy says, let's break AM's buyout record. They owe Jimbo <laughs> $76 million. If we dump Riley, we owe $80 million. At least our uh, football team can win at something. That is uh, one way to look at this. I don't think that this is a competition that anyone should try to win. I think that we get blinded by how much money people spend for buyouts. And $76 million is a lot of money. Uh, however, I do admire the effort of wanting to be good at something and wanting to win at something and 80 is higher than 76. So I understand all of that thought process, but I think we should, if you're a USC fan, you should devote all of your time and energy into channeling a good defensive coordinator higher and in recruiting and in the portal and just turn the page, move on to next year and hopefully things will be better. And hopefully you won't be in a situation where your quarterback He's so upset they refused to speak to anyone after a game. What are, what are your general thoughts on Lincoln Riley? It's been really interesting how quickly this one has shifted from, okay, they need to hire a new DC to now Lincoln Riley should be on the hot seat. I saw a few people saying that um, it's, it's really early on. Like, obviously there's issues. Like they've got to be a lot better in the trenches before they play in the big 10. Um, they definitely need a better defensive coordinator. Um, but like the physicality, the toughness, like all the issues, these have all been issues since Lincoln's Oklahoma teams. Like they've always had these great offenses that operate well in space, but they are going to need to be a lot more physical, you know, at, at the line of scrimmage, because I mean, you watch like a USC game and you watch like an Iowa game and these are, they're going to be in the same league. And there's, there's a lot of teams, obviously they're not like peak Iowa, like they're different, but they are built similarly and A, I think it's going to be great that there's going to be new styles of offense that's coming into the Big Ten, but those teams are going to need to be able to compete against those types of defenses in the Big Ten, too. So he's got a lot he's got to fix. Um, and, you know, again, like the, the offensive system, the play calling, all that stuff, like we see the good, we see the Heisman, you know, capabilities there. But, you know, the line needs to be there. They need to have a consistent run game, like, you know, if a game is played in the phone box and in a phone booth, they need to be able to do it. And then they just need to be much more sound defensively. So, you know, it's, 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 it's there for him. Um, but we'll see. I mean, he's obviously struggled a little bit with some of the scrutiny in Los Angeles as well. Um, and that's not going to go away. And, you know, his schedule is only going to get more challenging as they go to the big 10. So it's a big off season for him, for sure. He, he should have made the defensive coordinator change last off season and been a little bit uh, more ahead of this process, but we'll see what he does now. And, um, you know, again, it's, it's kind of like we were talking about with Deion Sanders, like there's just, you, you see, I, I just find it really interesting psychologically to watch people have to respond to a situation that they haven't been in before um, or under pressure or kind of like it, it, it entering into an environment that is unusual or different or whatever. And I am fascinated to see with Lincoln Riley as well, how he navigates this. From, from what I hear is Jim Leonard. Is that, was that on a message board? <laughs> That's oh, the latest rumor. I we got saw my, we, we trailed a plane. I got our, my ear to the ground. <laughs> Some guy named fat Tom 22. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, like I said, you know, you do nowadays after this crazy season we've had, you got to read everything, <laughs> even if it sounds outlandish. You got to read everything. There's been a handful of of true ones that come out. It's just a matter of deciding which which ones those are. Um, well, they let you know when they're when uh, you were wrong for posting them, right, MBG? <laughs> Whenever yeah, that happens. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, Nicole, thanks for coming on. I really Thank appreciate you so it. Much. It was fun Thank having you. you. Thank you. Yeah. Tell us, no. tell us where you, they can find you. People can find you. I'm sure people know, but do that. Yeah. Um, on Twitter, X, whatever we call it, um, at Nicole Auerbach, A-U-E-R-B-A-C-H. Also on Instagram, put a little more personal stuff, more photos of the dog on there, Nicole underscore Auerbach over there. But yeah, guys, this was really fun. Thanks for having me. Enjoy. Um, the silly season of carousels of uh, <laughs> of message board season. I feel like that is like the peak. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like you guys are about to hit your stride and I am very excited to follow along. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Nicole. Really appreciate it. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode, the MBG podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. You can check out more content at messageboardgeniuses.com and we'll see you next time. Losers. <laughs>